Today, we're going to look at different ways that you can set up your water system independently. That really is the key word, independence. The Ready Life, into the country. Hi, and welcome back to the Ready Life podcast. My name is Lisa. And I'm Nick Meisner. And today, we're going to be talking about water, a basic necessity of life. Yeah, water is one of the items that most concerns me about how most folks are set up because it is so often overlooked. I mean, it's true. It's it's something that we often take for granted. We if you're buying a place in the country and it's got a well, that's, you know, about it. We just think, "Oh, it's got a well." Or if you're buying a piece of land, lots of people have bought a piece of land without having a clue whether they would have a way to get water or not. And this should actually be one of the top priority items on our list, water. And um, there are some real concerns that I have about even um, water systems that where there's plenty of water, but how do they access that water? And that's what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, you know, water is one of those things you don't want to be depending upon somebody else in order to have. Yes. And yet... That is honestly the situation that most of the folks who live in the country are in. They Mm -hmm. are in the country. They have a garden. They can focus on canning, all of these things. And yet they're dependent upon someone else for one of their most basic necessities of life. And that's water. That's right. They're dependent upon these huge corporations that are selling them power, the power company. And as we all know, there are frequently, especially in the country, um, power outages that come from a variety of sources. But uh, there's also the situation of you are placing yourself where you are dependent upon that power company. And if for whatever reason they are taken out or they refuse to sell you power or whatever, you would be in a world of hurt. And that's just not a good position to place ourselves in. That makes me think about how in the Bible we're warned that, you know, there will come a time where we will not be able to buy or sell. And if we're depending upon somebody else for one of our basic necessities of life, well, you can kind of see this could put us into a very difficult position. And I've been reading in the news about various utility companies where there have been attacks on them in recent months where uh, Hmm. somebody who knew what they were doing went in and strategically caused major power outages that lasted for extended periods of time. And so, you know, there's EMPs, there's a variety of different sources, and we're not trying to scare anybody. We, We want you to be in a position where you're not scared if something happens, that's that's kind of the whole point. Is if you're set up the, in such a way where you're not dependent upon the power company, then who cares if something happens to them? Exactly, know? exactly. So today we're going to look at different ways that you can set up your water system independently. That really is the key word: independence. That's right. So what would you know? We're talking about an independent water system. What would the ultimate setup be? That That's kind of a question that I've pondered over the years is what would the ultimate water system be? And 
in my mind, the ultimate water system would be one that meets five pieces of criteria. And so those five pieces of criteria are no electricity required, nothing mechanical to malfunction, you know, Murphy's Law, anything that can go wrong will go wrong at the worst possible time. Absolutely. (laughs) Every time. (laughs) So nothing mechanical to malfunction, have good pressure at the house, have plenty of quantity. That is a big one. That's a really big one. Probably (laughs) the most often violated one and Uh probably the one that we need to be the least negotiable on. Anyhow, plenty of quantity and then very pure, excellent quality of water, pure water. Those five pieces of criteria, no electricity, nothing mechanical, good pressure at the house, plenty of quantity, and very pure water. Now, that's a tall order, isn't it? That is a tall order. I was just trying to think here. Okay, so is there a water system that would even come close to fitting that sort of description? It's very rare, very rare, I'll give you that, (laughs) but it is possible. And um, here's what that system would be, what I consider to be the ultimate setup would consist of a spring of all things. Now, Hmm. I I imagine most of you know what a spring is, but for those of you that aren't familiar with a spring, it's where the water just naturally flows out of the ground. There are all over, especially in mountains or hilly country, you find them, but there's springs all over the place. I mean, even, even down in flat Florida, they've got huge freshwater springs. I went scuba diving in once. (laughs) But um, springs all over the place, it's just a place where the water naturally flows out of the ground or comes to the surface. Sometimes it looks like a boggy area. Sometimes it looks like a little creek flowing out of the side of a hill. But the ultimate water system starts with a spring. Reason for that is because it's coming to the surface all on its own. You're not having to pump it to the surface. So that's a big uh, plus right there. So nothing mechanical there. Nothing mechanical and nothing electric to get it to the surface. But forget, don't forget, we need to still get it to the house and pressurize the house because I'd like to have good pressure running water in the house. Yeah. You know, I don't really want to go back to the 1800s and haul water with buckets. Water buckets. <laughs> yeah. So how do we do that? We've We've now got it to the surface with a spring. Well, that's where the lay of the land comes in. And if you happen to have a hill nearby, and if there's a spring that's a good ways up that hill, you can tap in to what I call the gravity principle. The gravity principle is where the force of gravity pushing water downhill, if it's in a pipe, it puts it under pressure. Where if you capture the water Hmm. uphill, and you channel it down the hill to your house in a pipe, it is going to be under pressure the further it goes down. The further it goes down, the more pressure there will be. In fact, for every one vertical foot of drop, you gain 0.43 pounds per square inch of pressure. Hmm. Now, how much pressure does a typical household have? Typical household pressure is somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 to 60 pounds per square inch of pressure. Okay. So what this looks like is if you you would need to have somewhere in the neighborhood of 60 vertical feet of fall to equal a fairly normal amount of pressure. 
Okay. You could have less than that, and the water will still flow, but it won't be normal pressure. So if you want to have normal 50, 60 feet or more of vertical feet of fall, will give you a fairly normal amount of pressure. And so that's how high up your cistern would need to be in order for you to have normal pressure with no, no pumps, nothing mechanical or electric. So from the spring, you would collect the water in a cistern first and right. then pipe it down to the house? That's correct. Okay. So the, the cistern, because the spring, most springs are not gushing and, and putting off 20 gallons a minute. <laughs> They're, you know, most springs are putting off of what appears to be a small amount of water, but it collects over time and it adds up to a lot of cumulative water but at that moment it's not a lot and it in your house you might have a bunch of different faucets on and it just wouldn't be enough to keep up with your house hmm. so that's why you collect it in a cistern where you've now got a body of water up there and that cistern is feeding your house wow so this is like no electricity there's nothing mechanical you have pressure at the house and hopefully plenty of quantity. It, yeah, hopefully plenty of quantity. I guess that would depend on the size of the spring. Yeah, we'll talk right? about that in a minute. Um, so yeah, this would be the ultimate setup. Yep. This is awesome. So this is what it looks like. If you want the ultimate, that would be the ultimate. Now, having said that, bear in mind that, like I said, very few of these exist. They're out there, and I've seen a good number of them, but percentage-wise... Most homesteads do not have this kind of a setup. And most likely, that's not going to be what you end up with either. So I just, but I just want you to be aware of what the ultimate is. But we're going to show you a lot of options for ways that you can set up a water system that is still good. Maybe it's not the ultimate, but it's still good and still an independent water system where you will not be dependent upon the power company or some other utility in order to get your water. That's what we're after. So actually this makes me think of our power or our water system here. We have a spring, but unfortunately our spring isn't up on top of a hill that's 60 vertical feet above our home. That's right. And so when you have a spring where it's either, you know, it, there's just not enough fall or it's even maybe below the house, how do you set up that spring to pressurize a house. So in that kind of a situation, once again, you're still going to collect a, use a cistern to collect the water mm -hmm. for obvious reasons. And then from that cistern, in, since we don't have gravity working to our advantage to carry the water down to the house, we're going to need to use a pump. And it's going to need to be a electric pump. So you're probably thinking, well, what, what have I accomplished at this point? Well, here's the deal. With that electric pump, we're going to not be powering it from the power company. We're going to set up our own little power company to power that pump. We're going to set up a renewable energy system, most likely a solar system, but whatever the best source of energy is for you. We've already talked about off-grid power systems on previous episodes, and we'll be talking about them more. So I'm not going to go into great depth on that, but just... Suffice it to say that pumps, there are very energy efficient pumps available that we can use to pump that water from the cistern into your house and pressurize your house. And they don't use a lot of power. They're very, very feasible to do with a off-grid power system. And 
you'll now have a good independent water system. Yes, it's not perfect. It's not ideal because it does have an electric pump and it's mechanic, you know, it's mechanical in nature. It's moving parts and it's electrical. So because of that, I always like to, if possible, have some redundancy. And that's how I try and make things that aren't ideal to be better is by having redundancy. Yeah, have a spare pump maybe and have some spare parts for your power system, have some uh, multiple options for powering that pump, things like this. Of course, with a spring, you can always go get a bucket and well, haul true. water if, you know, worst case scenario. But This is true. So you still have access to water in that scenario. Right. So it's, it's not a bad uh, alternate option to the ultimate. Yes. So th- yes, it'd be great to have a spring up the hill, but if you've got one that that isn't up the hill, um, then that is a good option. And then we've got kind of an in-between of what if the spring is up the hill, but it's not far enough up the hill mm. to let gravity pressurize it. Well, in that situation, then you're still going to b- bury the cistern up the hill and get it as far up as you can, collecting the water from the spring. The water will flow to your house. As long as the cistern is above your house, it will flow but you just may not have much pressure. If it's, you know, 20 feet above your house, <laughs> it'll flow, just not much pressure. You'll turn on the shower and it just kind of... <laughs> right. So in that situation, we can use something called a booster pump that uses very, very little power. It can run off of your battery system from your solar um, power system and uses very little power and it basically boosts the pressure. Um, it lets the water flow down to your house and it'll pump the pressure up to your normal household pressure and keep up with your water needs. Very nice system. And the beautiful thing about that is if something fails with the pump or the power system, the you water can still have flow. Gra- you still have flow. It's just not right. normal and pressure. With the right shower head, you'd be surprised how little pressure you can get a shower out of. You That's know. true. I've I've showered with some pretty low pressure shower heads over in other countries. <laughs> right, right. So, so that's just a little bit of the the theory behind how you could deal with a spring in in various types of scenarios. So, what um, you mentioned earlier about like the flow of mm. a spring. There's obviously some springs that just barely trickle, and then others that are big gushers. So how do you deal with how do you deal with that? So with a I mean obviously the more water you have the the better. I'd much rather have too much than too little. But you'd be surprised how little water it takes to fulfill your domestic needs. Hmm. Uh, now in saying that I don't want to encourage you to be okay with a tiny amount of water, but I just want to be realistic here that domestic water doesn't, your domestic needs do not require a lot of water. Hmm. It's the, the, by the, by far the vast majority of the water that you consume is going to be irrigation or outdoor things like uh, watering the lawn, watering the car, watering the garden, the animals, all these kinds of things. But your indoor usage you know, you're you're looking somewhere. I, I've heard estimates anywhere from 50 to 100 gallons per person per day. 
it's not a lot of water. And I mean, we've learned our yeah. household water usage is very small. We, the four of us, we live on probably 150 gallons a day, and that's just yeah. normal for us. So um, you can get by with a small spring, but a larger one would be better, obviously. So what does this look like? What would be the absolute minimum for your domestic needs? So I want to, um, for for those of you that are watching on video, I'm going to show you a clip. For those of you that are listening, I'm going to describe this for you so that you get a feel for, for what we're watching. But basically this spring that we're uh, looking at is 0.25 gallons per minute. That's a quarter of a gallon per minute. Now that sounds like a minuscule amount, but it is sufficient to take care of the domestic needs of our family and, and numerous other families that we know of that live on this amount of water just fine for domestic water needs. So let's take a look at that. May not look overly impressive, but this is our present water system. What you're seeing right here is a 700 gallon cement reservoir that actually holds the water. The water gets here from a spring, which is up the valley just a little bit, and it only has to run in here. It doesn't have to have pressure. So the spring is almost on the same level of this. Runs in 24 hours, seven days a week. The reason I'm saying that is because it requires a very small amount of water to take care of a family. If you figure an average of 50 gallons per person per day, you're gonna be in really good shape. So in my family, that'd be four people, 200 gallons. What does it take to get 200 gallons a day? Well, it's simple math. I wanna show you one thing about this reservoir, is this reservoir has an overflow. And in the overflow, the water flowing out of this will tell you how much water is actually flowing in, because it's gonna be constant. If I was to put a cup under here, I may get two cups, maybe three cups a minute. I've done the math. If you get two cups of flow in a whole minute, 24 hours a day, you've got enough to take care of your family. And just for the record, that little trickle of water was like less than the size of a pencil. That's that's how small it's it very was. Small, right. Very small, very small. But I, once again, I wanna be realistic here that if you are um, needing to do irrigation outside or anything like that, this probably isn't gonna be sufficient for you. It, of course, it depends if it's just a little bit of irrigation, if you're really, really careful with the, using drip irrigation and things like that, then it may be, may be feasible for work. you. It yeah. might work. But this is a really on the bottom end of what you want to be okay with. And so I would really encourage you to do your homework on how much water is enough. We've got a episode coming up in the future that's all about dealing with low flow water sources and we'll get more into this on, on that episode. But for now, I just wanted you to see what the very, very bottom end looks like. Probably not sufficient for most of you. Yeah. Now, another spring that we want to take a look at is one and a third gallons per minute, roughly, somewhere in that neighborhood. And the amount of flow looks pretty similar to what you would get out of a kitchen faucet. And so here's what that one looks like. So we'll take the screen off and let me get my wash and stop watch mode here. And here we go. 
Okay, I read 44 seconds. It's quite something. It's yeah. not, not the huge gusher that you would expect, but that amount of water, that 1.3 gallons per minute, you're talking um, in the neighborhood of, of uh, 2,000, between 1,500 and 2,000 gallons per day. Wow. <laughs> That's a lot of water. That is a lot of water. Yeah. So that would be a really, really nice livable spring for a lot of people, certainly yeah. for us. Certainly, probably for most people, right. actually. Yeah, that would be a, a good one. So I hope that gives you an idea of what what type of amount we might be needing. But once again, you need to do your homework and find out how much water you need because everybody's situation is different. Yes, yep, for sure. So let's say you find a raw piece of land and or you have property already and it has a spring on it. You see a wet area or there's water trickling out of the side of a hill. Um, how, what do you do with it? How do you get it from the side of a hill into a pipe? Well, here's a synopsis from our DVD, Springhead Development. And in just a very short period of time, uh, walks you through how to develop a spring head, and here's the highlights from that. Yesterday, when we dug this spring out, we had to clear the weeds off and dig along the ditch, trace the spring to its source, and then dig out a basin. We put in gravel and a collection pipe. Then we put in more gravel. We closed it back over with plastic. Then we put dirt on top. And now, as you can see, it's all covered over. When we get grass planted on this and growing, there will not even be any evidence that there's a spring under the ground there. And it will be protected from runoff and from contamination. Pretty cool, huh? That is so awesome. I love watching that, Bob does such a good job at just showing how simple and easy it is to dig out a spring and put a pipe in and then you have water coming out of a pipe. It's just amazing. Protected from surface contamination and, and everything. It's a, a good method that, that works well. Yeah, and it's so simple that anybody can do it. Yeah, we got a link to that in the show notes just in case you're needing it. So... What about our next water source? That's that's a, a little bit about springs, but another water source that we wanted to look at is spring or no creeks and streams. Right. So if you got a little creek on your property or a little stream, how can you util how can you utilize that for your water system for your home? Well, by its very nature, a creek is most often going to be lower than your house. So, I mean, that's there true. there may be some unusual situations where there is a creek that's up above your house, but the most of the time, you know, it's down in a low spot and it's going to be lower than your house. So, gravity flow is going to be kind of out of the question with creeks. The other thing about creeks is you've now entered the realm of surface water. With a spring, you're capturing that water before it ever leaves the ground and so it's fairly protected not as protected as a well but still fairly protected from surface contamination mm -hmm. but with a creek it is exposed to anything 
And, you know, whether that anything is an animal walking through it and using the bathroom upstream from you or whatever. <laughs> I, mean, I don't mean to be too graphic here, but this is reality. Yes, it'll get diluted and everything, but but um, Giardia is an issue in, in some areas and in some creeks and a lot of creeks from what I hear. So this is something to, to consider with a creek. And for that reason, I don't typically recommend that you use a creek as your primary water source for your home. I think creeks make a awesome water source for irrigation. Um, you know, typically there, or a lot of times there's an abundance of water there. It's often going to be much larger than the flow you'd get from a spring. And so it's there could be great for irrigation and, and uses like that. But for domestic use in your house, I'd rather see you use a protected water source for that. However, there are lots of people, um, especially up in our neck of the woods, that do use a creek as yes. their primary water source. Yep. And so w what are you going to do in that kind of a situation? So some of the people that I know that use a creek for their water source will use like a gas-powered um, pump down at the creek and then they pump the water up into a cistern or a holding tank. And then from there, there's another pump in the cistern that pressurizes the house. Right. So that's, and as far as the water not necessarily being pure, what they'll typically do is use a filtering system of some sort. Could be like as, a Berkey yeah, or exactly. a Catadine or something like that. That would be the yeah. simplest form is just a tabletop filter, ceramic or other filter that you pour the water in the top and gravity pushes it through and you've got your drinking water. And so they'll just yeah. filter their drinking water, assuming that the creek water is pristine, you know, that we're not dealing with a lot of uh, chemicals and, and stuff like that, which hopefully if you're up in the mountains somewhere, it's going to be fairly pristine. It, yes. Or if you wanted to, you could put in a more elaborate whole house filtration system to purify the water for the entire house. But yes, that is a fairly common water system, what you just described. Obviously, it's not independent because it's using a gasoline pump yeah. to pump the water up. So you do have to buy the gas. And um, But I will say that those gas pumps don't use much gas. And with proper fuel storage techniques, which we will talk about in <laughs> another, a little while, another podcast. <laughs> you can store fuel for many years. Gasoline, even gasoline, you can store it. I've done it for like seven years successfully. And so it is possible. And with a good bit, you know, with a drum of gasoline, you could pump water for quite some time. So yes. no, it's not ideal. But lots of people use it, and it is an option to consider. But what I'd really like to see you consider if you were going to use a creek for either irrigation or your domestic needs is something along the lines of a ram pump. Mm. Yeah, a ram pump, if you're not familiar with them, ram pumps are one of the most ingenious devices I think I've ever seen. They operate on that basically they you remember earlier we talked about the gravity principle and gravity pushing water downhill and when you contain that water and gravity is pushing it down it actually builds up pressure 
the 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 more height you have, the more pressure is built up. Well, the ram pump takes the energy from that pressure that has built up from gravity pushing that water downhill, takes the energy from that and uses that energy to pump the water uphill many times that um, amount of fall. So just a for instance, a ram pump can, uh, under the right circumstances, could take the energy from just 10 vertical feet of fall. So if you were to collect the water uphill, 10 feet uphill from the ram pump, when I say 10 feet, once again, we're talking 10 vertical feet. If you were to collect the water 10 vertical feet above the ram pump, run it down to the ram pump, it could take the energy from that 10 vertical feet of fall and pump the water up 100 vertical feet. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it's incredible how it works. Now, one way, uh, one thing to be aware of with a ram pump is that it, as part of the pumping process, it wastes a lot of water. So let me show you a uh, video clip of that real quick. And uh, for those of you watching on video, you'll see what I'm talking about. When we come back, I'll describe what you're hearing for those of you that are listening. So here we go. That is the coolest looking device I have ever seen. I know. It's... If you've not seen one before, look it up online and watch the video of this ram pump. It is so cool. Great. And that rhythmic noise that you heard, that is the ram pump in operation. It's a series of valves that open and close, and it creates a, a dynamic energy from the valve um, closing that um, shoots a little bit of water up. So it's it's got, um, it, basically it's a metal case with a pipe running into it, and you see a bunch of water that spurts out rhythmically. And so most of the water that comes down the drive pipe gets sprayed out and wasted as a byproduct and flows back into the creek. But a portion of the water, just a portion that comes down the drive pipe, actually makes it up to your cistern. Wow. So because of that, a ram pump is not a good option for most springs. It would need to be a massive spring that's putting off a ton of water. But it would be a good option for a creek Absolutely. or a stream, especially one that if you've got a little bit of fall on your property, then yeah, you could use that and pump it up to a cistern. And then from the cistern, you could pressurize your house if it was high enough again. And there's no electricity required. That's Zero. awesome. <laughs> Purely mechanical and a well-built ram pump. And those things have been known to run for decades and decades. Wow. I, I heard a story of a guy up in the mountains somewhere that was hiking around and he heard some weird noise underground. <laughs> and he looked around and dug around a little bit and he found where decades before an old miner had set up a ram pump and <laughs> set it up underground so it wouldn't freeze. And then he died and and left and you know left and died and been decades since then and it was still running. Still wow, operating. that is so cool. Yeah, so really cool option. And um, just one last thing about ram pumps: if you had a spring that was downhill from your house where you had spring water that needed to be pumped up, like I said, a ram pump would not be a good option 
for being powered from that spring unless it was a huge spring. So those are some some cool options to to look into if you happen to have a setup that would be similar to that. Now what's another water source that folks will bring up uh, periodically? Oh, rainwater. Mm. Yes, yep. rainwater catchment whatever they have this the huge cistern that they collect the rainwater off of their roof and it they pipe it into their house. Right. <laughs> so. so the the thing about rainwater systems, there's a lot of work that's been done on this and a lot of progress that's been made. And I think that rainwater is an excellent option for supplementing your water source if you have a low flow water source, you know, a poor well or a small spring or something like that, and you need some additional water to help with other tasks like irrigation, things like that, then that could be a good possible option. You'd have to have uh, a very, very large amount of cistern capacity if you, especially if you're in an area where the rain is more seasonal, like our neck of the woods. Yeah. The summertime, we hardly get any rain for three months, four months out of the year. And we get yeah. almost all of it during the fall, winter, and spring. And so it would take, you'd have to store a ton of water during the rainy times to get you through that dry season. But it could be useful to supplement. However, I do not recommend that you rely on rainwater as your primary water source. And I have a one-word answer for that. I like one-word answers. <laughs> Droughts. Oh, yeah. What do you do? during a drought, and any area can experience a drought. Weather is unpredictable, and that is my number one question with rainwater systems. If you are entirely dependent upon rainwater, what do you do during a drought? And I've visited places where they were predominantly on rainwater systems, like for instance, Bermuda years ago went there and stayed with some friends and they were showing us around, and almost everybody, or at least it looked like the majority of folks there, were living on rainwater systems. I guess there's not a lot of fresh water, groundwater there. Hmm. And I, and so they'd have massive cisterns built under their house. Where we have basements, they have cisterns. Wow. <laughs> like that size of, of cistern under their house. But I asked, what do y'all, do y'all ever have droughts here? And thought for a minute. He said, yeah, we, we have. He said, well, what do you do during a drought? And he said, well, you have to hire somebody to haul water in and fill your cistern up. <laughs> and I just don't think that's a good situation. And so I really, really would like to see you avoid getting into that kind of a situation. So that's why I don't recommend rainwater as your primary water source. So... I think we've covered almost everything except wells. The most popular one. The most popular <laughs> one, which most of you probably all have wells. Um, it's just a small percentage of us that use springs or creeks or other ways to you know, to have water at our home. So, But, but we wanted to cover these other <clears throat> options just so that you're aware of them because I've you'd be surprised how many folks I've run into that had not really even considered using these other types of unconventional water sources. But yes, wells are most likely what you're going to, <laughs> either what you have or what you're likely to have as your water source. And that is what we're focusing on in our next episode. 
Yes. So don't forget to tune in to our next podcast to learn more about how you can make your well independent. But before we finish, let's finish with a quick checklist of things that you really need to um, look for or think about when you're considering your water system. That's right. So number one, always, always, always test your water from any source before you drink it. And that goes for whatever the source is, whether it's a spring, a creek, a well, whatever it is, you want to test it so that you know what you're dealing with. Even wells, even though they're the mm -hmm. most protected water source, they can have, it is possible for them to have issues. Yes. And you want to know about it before you start drinking that well water. Then the next thing would be, if possible, always check your water source at the driest time of year especially with a spring or a creek. Sometimes those are more seasonal than you might realize. Even with our spring, we see quite a fluctuation throughout the season in its production. So make sure that you check your water source at the driest part of the year. And even wells too can mm -hmm. be affected by Absolutely. Um, droughts or seasonal changes. So, And it's weird because the changes that you see don't always correspond with the weather. There's often a delayed effect. We've noticed that with our spring. Yes, that's it, true. It takes a while for water to move through the ground. And so you'll you'll see the weather from several months ago, perhaps, show up at and in your spring or, or in your well. But yes, there's lots of springs and creeks out there that even go completely dry in the summer. Yes. That are seasonal. Yes. So, so make sure if if you're looking at property and they say, oh, there's a creek on here. Well, just make sure that it's actually running year round and it doesn't dry up or mostly dry up um, during part of the year, especially if you're gonna count on that as your primary water source. Right. Number three, if the amount of water is questionable, persist in looking for a better setup. And I can't stress this enough because water is one of those few things that you absolutely must have and that you can't get along without. And so if there's any doubt about whether this is going to be a good, reliable water system for you, then I would encourage you to keep looking if you're at that stage where you are not committed to something yet. But let's say that you are, you know, that you're in a situation where you already have a water system, and it's not ideal, it's not optimal. That brings us to number four. So use your ingenuity. Usually something can be worked out. Think outside the box and try and come up with ways and ideas that you can create a really good water situation for yourself. For instance, the most one of the most common uh, water issues that we see is folks that don't have enough water. And there are all kinds of things you can do to improve your situation. While I'd rather see you not get into that kind of a situation, if you are into that, there are lots of things you can do. And yes. we have a upcoming episode that's going to be all about dealing with a low flow water system and, and what you can do. So the point here is don't despair. There's a lot of things that can be done and may be able to be worked out. So let's yes. let's roll up our sleeves and go to work. <laughs> yes, for sure. Well, thank you so much for joining us again today for this podcast. 
Um, If you appreciated it, please um, like and subscribe and share this podcast with your friends and family. And leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify or YouTube, whatever your platform is. That helps to get the word out to others. And send a link, text a link to your family or friends or anybody that you think would appreciate this. And most importantly, if you have a question, a burning question in your mind, there are no dumb questions. So please send us your question and you can send it to questions at thereadylife.com. We'll look forward to spending some time with you next time. And until then, farewell. Thank you.